That's very foreboding music for me to get up here to. It's like, you're like, whoa, it's getting ready to happen. It's great. We just entered the upside down. So for those of you who are Netflix junkies. So anyway, good. Good to see everybody. Good, good worship. Good time together this morning. Um, we're going to continue in our, uh, actually, this is the last week of the series that we started a few weeks ago, uh, What Would Jesus Undo? And uh, if you don't have your What Would Jesus Undo bracelet, uh, there's one over by the door. Uh, there's plenty over by the door, uh, so pick, up, pick one up. But it's just a, a, a little bit of exercise that we've been in for the last few weeks to kind of take some time to go, you know, because it follows that old trend from back in the 80s and 90s where everybody was wearing the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? And so the what would Jesus undo concept is this. If you gave Jesus permission to edit your life, like what are some things in your life or in the life of Christians or the church or whatever that maybe he would say, yeah, but maybe this needs to go. Maybe you'd be better off if that area of your life was not there or that behavior or that attitude or whatever it is. And so we've looked at a lot of different things. And today we're going to look at the concept, concept of spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference. I, man, as I was kind of thinking and praying over in my hidey hole over, over there in the corner, um, I, I, just, I just had this overwhelming sense of, I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people in the room that need to hear this sermon today, my, myself included, myself included. That I think that when it comes to that concept of... Um, do you still have that spiritual passion that you once had? Are you on fire for Christ in a way that you once were, or are you just kind of floating through? Like, I, when I think back on my life, um, like a lot of people, like I'm in my mid-40s now, and, um, but like a lot of people, as a younger man, like when I was in my teenagers and early 20s, I was like, I was like a fireball. I was just, I joked around way too much. I know you're thinking, how could you possibly joke around more than you joke around now? But I, it, was, it was measurably more, trust me. And, and I was just uh, the, the guy that would like walk into a room and just, you know, kind of life of the party, class clown type of guy. And, and, um, and then as I got older, as a lot of us do, um, some of that edge, some of that maybe you want to even call it joy, whatever, begin to kind of taper down, fade away. I mean, things happen in life. You, you learn about taxes, and you're just like, mm. <laughs> right? You learn that, you know, guys, like after you get married, you, you realize, oh, wait, we're not having sex every day? <laughs> you, you learn that kids aren't always cute. Right? It just kind of, and, and as life keeps coming at you, you know, you learn that a lot of bosses are jerks. You learn that a lot of friends might stab you in the back. You learn you know, all these kind of things as life keeps coming at you. People die, people get sick, you know, things happen, catastrophes happen, tragedies happen. As life just keeps rolling at us and the time is rolling at us really hard, I think it's really easy for us to, we just become a little more jaded. It's, it's, it's a little, it takes more for us to kind of max out on joy and excitement around things. You ever tried, parents, have you ever tried to impress your kids with something that, you, that impressed you as a kid? They're not impressed at all, at all, at all. 
Like, you, you can try to, like, this, you build it up. This was the greatest thing, and I love this so much. And they'll look at it and go, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Or they're like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, right, you know, that sort of thing. Or I remember when Isaiah was little, he was about five years old, when the first Incredible Hulk movie came out, like early 2000s, right? And, um, and so he, man, he loved that movie. He thought it was so great and everything. And so right about that time, same time, the Sci-Fi Network started re-airing the old 1970s uh, Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno. And I was like, dude, Isaiah, I love this so much. It was so great. You're going to love this show. I, I mean, I never missed a week and all this kind of stuff. And so he's all excited about flipping on. Lou Ferrigno comes out in his green body paint. And, dad, and he's, he's looking at the TV. He's five years old. Look at the TV. He looks back at me. He's like, is this a joke? <laughs> and he's like, Dad, you're bigger than that Hulk. And, and first of all, I said, yeah, I am. You're right. <laughs> but, but no, he, he was just like, he was not impressed with something that impressed me so much as a kid. And so as we get older, it's, it's, it's harder to kind of get us to max out on joy because we've We've, we've, we've been hit with the punches of life, right? We've been hit with things that's like, I don't know. We just, so, so we, we kind of, you know, I had, as a young man, just, like I said, tons of joy, tons of excitement, lots of dreams, um, a massive, like an overly massive amount of confidence, right? All of that kind of stuff. And then, and, and, and you know, fast forward to age 46, and, and my only hope in life is that people just leave me alone. <laughs> That's just like my sweetest dream of my whole day is like, maybe today people will just leave me alone. And, I'm usually, and, I'm, and not you people. You people are fine. I'm mainly talking about my kids. <laughs> like may, maybe nothing will break today. Maybe nobody will cry today. Maybe nobody will really need me to fix them food or anything today. Just if, could I just get through this day and just kind of skate like that, you know? That's my sweetest dream for the day now, right? Versus the dreams I had as a younger man. And so, and I think a lot of the times when it comes to our spiritual life, we, we experience a bit the same thing. Now, for some of you, we're all, at, regardless of your age, we're all at different places spiritually in the room. And so, you know, the oldest amongst us aren't necessarily the most spiritually mature. It depends on, you know, when, how long ago you came to faith in Christ and, and how you have uh, invested in that relationship that you have with Christ and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's all kinds of different factors there. But for those of you who maybe could look back a few decades to when you first came to faith in Christ, you might remember the excitement that you first felt, how overwhelming it was, how emotional you, you became, uh, either with just uh, tears of gratitude or just sheer joy or whatever the case was, just that sense of, of just being amazed at who God is and how much he loved you and all of that kind of stuff. And then as you, the years go by, like that, the new car smell wears off of that faith after a little while, right? I mean, it's, it's and it begins to smell like all of your minivan smell, right? Like French fries and tears. That's all it smells like, right? That's just, it's just the smell of French fries and tears. And so, so like it's, it, it, it tends to, it tends to just, now, now, now some of that is not necessarily a bad thing. Some of it is, is, is a time in and a growth and a closeness 
to Christ that, that, that comes with a, a long relationship. Like when I look at my relationship with my wife, <clears throat> like we're not casting goo-goo eyes at each other all the time the way we used to, but our relationship is deeper and it's more beautiful and it's richer and it's something that is so much better than it was you know, 20 some odd years ago. Like it's just, it's grown into something mature and, and worthwhile, really beautiful, right? And so some, sometimes it's that. Sometimes, you know, you don't need, as you get older and closer and closer to Christ, you don't always necessarily need the big, exciting conference to, to get you excited about Jesus. Uh, you, you, there's, just a, there's just a closeness there that transcends momentary, you know, feelings or whatever. So sometimes that's good, but sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's, it's that spiritual indifference that I want to talk about today where you've been a Christian for a while and you've just kind of stopped caring. You're just not as impacted spiritually as you used to be. It is, um, Bill and I were talking yesterday about uh, the old C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity. It's one of the greatest, if you've never read that book, read that book. It's, it's about 80 years old, so it's, I mean, it's, the, you know, the, the style, his writing style and, and, and the fact that he's a Brit and, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's a little different than maybe, you know, a lot of the casual reading you might do today. It's a little, little, little bit heady, not too bad, but a little bit. And, but it's a fan, I mean, just the, the, the stuff in that book is amazing. And I, I was kind of making the joke, I was telling him I was preaching the sermon today, and I said, you know, I, I feel like I could have labeled this, this sermon, meh. Christianity, <laughs> right? Meh, Christianity. It's just that we live in that meh society that just kind of, it's just laissez-faire, I don't care, I don't, you know, whatever. And, and if we're not careful as, because cause here's the thing, I don't think this is a uniquely Christian problem, it's a human problem. We live in a world that has learned to, has, that has become jaded and I mean, we, we, we used to be absolutely horrified by news of a mass shooting. Last week, there was one on, in Florida that barely raised my heart rate. And that's sad, isn't it? I mean, that's sad. And, and, and that's just one example. Like, I could go example after example, example. We've, 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 lived, in this, we've lived in this world and this, it, that has gotten so rough at times that it, sometimes it's easier to check out than it is to care. And, and that same human condition can infiltrate our faith and, and make us indifferent to even the things that God is passionate about. And that, that, that's a dangerous thing. It's something that we all need to be aware of. We don't want to experience meh. Christianity. We want to experience the, the power of God in our life. We want to experience Christ as He is, not as some, you know, not as just some piece of furniture that we put in the corner of a room, but the living presence of Him in our life. That's what we want to experience, right? So Jesus, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, there are these uh, uh, letters to seven different churches. They're 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 presented to us as letters from Christ to these seven different churches. And all, each of these churches has different um, characteristics that Jesus either wants to kind of call out and go, 
you know, you've, you've wandered from me, or that he wants to praise and say, this is a good thing about you and your church or whatever. And we're going to talk about the last church mentioned in that. It's in Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 14. It's the church in Laodicea. Now, the church in Laodicea was, um, first of all, Laodicea was this town that before this, before the book of Revelation was written, about 35 years before, the whole city had been destroyed by an earthquake. And so what happened was that it was a pretty important city to the Roman Empire, but what they did, since it was important and it got destroyed, the Roman Empire just flooded it with money and people to rebuild that city, and they rebuilt it beautifully, beautifully. Uh, shopping centers and, and, and an arena and um, uh, beautiful public baths, that was a thing back then, and, uh, and just all these, I mean, it was just, they laid it out beautifully. It became a destination, but it became the, the, uh, the Vegas of its day. Uh, it became this kind of destination spot where, you know, it was like, oh, you got to go see the new temple there or the new, the new baths there or the new, uh, you know, whatever shopping center. And it became this thing that people... Now, the problem with Laodicea, though, was that where it was geographically positioned, it didn't really have good access to wa- enough water to really support that town. And so they would... The Romans were brilliant in their engineering and they had these aqueducts that would run through, throughout their empire and, and they were able to pipe in water to places that didn't have water. And so... They piped in water to Laodicea from two different directions. One from the mountains, uh, from city uh, Colossae, which is where you know Paul wrote, wrote uh, to the Colossians. And um, it would, so since it was coming in from the mountains, it was cold water, right? And piped into Laodicea. And then another from uh, a city called Hierapolis, where the water would come in. And, uh, but it was known for its uh, hot springs, right? And it was a place people would go with uh, uh, infirmities, you know. It was, it was considered, uh, you know, medicinal to go lay in the hot springs and, and, and he had healing properties or whatever. So you had the hot springs water coming from one location. You had the mountain cool water coming from another location, all coming to Laodicea. And by the time both of those really beautiful water sources got to Laodicea, the water was dirty and it was lukewarm. It was tepid, room temperature, uh, or worse. It was a little bit gross. And so while you had this really beautiful city that a lot of money had been poured into and it had become a destination spot, it was not known for its water, right? It was like, eh, if you can handle the water, go to Laodicea. It's great, right? So, so Jesus writes this letter, uh, so to speak, in, in Rome, or Revelation chapter 3, and it, and it starts off like this. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. Like, when I was a kid, if you've been here very long, you've heard me explain it this way, but this is true. When I was a kid, I oftentimes heard this preached that, with that hot-cold narrative that Jesus would rather you be on fire for him and totally uh, sold out for him, or he would rather you be completely far away from him. But if you're just riding the fence somehow in the middle, then he's disgusted with that. Now, the problem with that is that it's just not true. Jesus would not rather you be really, really far away from him. That makes no sense at all. 
It's not cold being good or hot being bad or the other way around. It's not that. It's the idea that cold water is useful and it has a purpose and it is good and it is refreshing. Hot water is useful and it is good and it has a purpose and it can be refreshing. Somewhere in the middle, though, is disgusting and you make Jesus want to vomit. Vomit. I love iced tea. Love, love, love iced tea. Like, I really, I could preach a whole sermon on iced tea. I love it that much. And, and, and you ever do that thing where you get a drink, maybe your, your drink is not iced tea, but mine just happens to be iced tea. And so you get a drink uh, through a drive-thru or whatever, and, um, and, and it's Chick-fil-A iced tea because they're the only ones that still put it in, in uh, um, styrofoam cups, God bless them. And, uh, and so anyway, but anyway, it's, it's, you get that iced tea and, and, and you're drinking it, you're drinking it, you drive around, you go home, you leave your cup in the car, then a day later... You know, it's been, it's, you've gone through a 100 degree day or whatever, and you're out, and all of a sudden you find yourself going, like I am kind of right now, wow, I really need a drink. And you're looking down at that cup. There's nothing good for me in that cup right now, right? I'm like, I'm not doing and then, But it just gets worse, and it begins to flood your mind how thirsty you are. And you're like, fine, fine. And you grab that cup, and it's just that <laughs> gross car temperature, water, like heat of the day. It's not boiling. That would be fine, right? It's not boiling tea. It's just, you just, you just take the smallest amount you can, just push it around just to get the, the cotton out of your mouth, and then you, and then you, you, know, you, you move. It's that, it's that. That's what you do to Jesus. That's what you do to Jesus when, when, when you become spiritually indifferent, when you begin to not care, when you kind of are halfway in and halfway out of your faith. It's not that Jesus is disappointed in you. It's not that you have hurt Jesus's feelings. He, you make him want to vomit. Let that sink in for just a second. Like, I know you didn't come to church today wanting to hear, I guess I make Jesus want to vomit. <laughs> like, that was not the message you were hoping to hear today. But this is the truth. Sometimes the way some of us live our lives and live out our, our faith, that's, it, is, it is just that way. It is just that way. So where does this spiritual indifference come from if we have it? And here's the tricky thing about spiritual indifference is that it's, it's, it's a little difficult to recognize in yourself. Oftentimes it's, diff- it's so difficult to recognize in yourself you don't recognize it until you're in a panic about how far you have wandered off from God, right? You just do that. Joe, I'm going to tell a story about you, Joe. This just popped in my head. I went camping with Joe one year. Joe and Emily, by the way, and their family just moved back from Texas. They used to come to our church uh, several years ago. They would drive all the way in from Hercules, and and uh, and that they've they've uh, repented of their ways and moved back away from Texas. And and they they're here, but but they, they they lived in Hercules, and you know all their networks of people were in Hercules. But they loved Living Hope so much, they they intentionally moved to back to Dixon just so they could uh, be in church with us. So that's awesome. I went. Several years ago, I went, I went camping with uh, Joe, and, uh, and he and some of his girls were, we were it was ocean camping, and, and they, were, they took a little swim out in the ocean, and before long, they were a little further from the shore than they wanted to get, and, and, and then this moment happened that I'm talking about where kind of all-out panic sat in, and they were like, uh, you know, and so Joe's trying to keep the girls uh, safe and sane and not from panicking, and inside he's going, ah, what am I going to do? Because we were all having fun on the beach and had no clue that they were in desperate need of help or anything, right? You know, and so, so they eventually made it, they're here today, so it all worked out good. But, 
<coughs> but we do, we, we can get that at that point in our lives sometimes where we have, we've kind of floated out away from God slowly. It, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't intentional, maybe. It wasn't intentional. It, was, it wasn't like you were like, God, I'm going to go away from it. It wasn't that. It was just you, you got a little too far away. And then all of a sudden when you reach a point that you realize you need him, it's like, I'm so far from him now. I'm so far. How did this happen? And, and, and so spiritual indifference can really creep up on us. And how does, it, how does it happen? How do we become spiritually indifferent? So I, w- I want to focus kind of on two different things today that I think happens w- that causes us to become spiritually indifferent. The first one is this, uh, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Uh, self-sufficiency will make you spiritually indifferent. The very next verse in that passage, verse 17, says this. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. He's like, you think you have everything you need. You think, you think you're in need of nothing, but you are poor, pitiable, wretched. Isn't that, we still notice that in people today, don't we? Don't you see the stories on TV of somebody, some celebrity or some person of power or position or whatever who seemingly had everything, all the money in the world and all the attention and the, and the good-looking spouse and the perfect children and the trust fund and the whatever else. And, and then suddenly you hear in an interview where they, their, their life has kind of crumbled a little bit and you hear, uh, I, I realize I had nothing that I really needed. I was miserable. I had all this stuff, and I was miserable. And we see it in other people, but, the, but you don't have to be rich and be a celebrity to experience that feeling. You can be just like anybody else, any of us in this room, and experience that feeling of, I thought I had everything I wanted, everything I dreamed of, or at least half of it. <laughs> and, and I realized I didn't have anything that could truly prop me up that could truly help me, that could truly help me get through. And so this self-sufficiency sets in, and it just doesn't work. We can't be self-sufficient. The other second thing there is, is this, it's distraction. One of the other causes for spiritual indifference is just distraction. We live in this world where there is no shortage of distraction. We have Netflix, we have our phones, we have our uh, you know, computers, we have our houses and our cars and our families and our little leagues and our schools, and we have our careers, and we have um, you know, any number of things. We college football's back, praise God. Um, we have well, all this kind of stuff, all, you know, all these things that will keep us distracted, and, and yet... What I've found over the years is as much pleasure, temporary pleasure, I might get out of those distractions, they, they leave me feeling empty. They leave me feeling empty. Um, at the end of the day, I'm just simply left wanting more. I've filled myself and filled myself on something that just cannot fill me. 
And for me, I've, I've found that when I begin to fill myself and fill myself with the things of the Lord, that's when I begin to really feel content. A satisfaction, a contentment. But we lose sight of that so easily. So how do we... What does it look like? What are some symptoms that you might have if you're living with spiritual indifference? So I, I, I have this list that I got from uh, Pastor uh, Craig Groeschel and uh, from something that he wrote. I thought it was really, really good. I just want to read off a couple of the things that he had listed in this list. And, and the first one is this, uh, symptoms of, that you might be living with a lukewarm faith is this. Uh, you're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. If you're more concerned with impressing people than living for God, it could be that your faith has gone lukewarm. I had this experience several months ago, just a few months ago, where I had to have a really, really difficult, awkward conversation with someone. It, I, I was dreading this conversation. It was not, I just knew it wasn't going to go well. It was not, it, it was just uh, the kind of conversation that, uh, I don't even want to go into the details, but I, it was just going to be awkward. And I was afraid of how that this conversation was going to impact this person. Would I drive them away from our church or whatever else? And it was, I was just racked with all this anxiety over this conversation. And, and I remember talking to somebody about that and, and you know, say, just telling them how nervous I was and just to be praying for me about it. And they said, yeah, it's really, you know, it can be really hard to have those conversations when you're afraid of offending somebody. And I said, I'm not afraid of offending that person. I'm afraid of offending Jesus. I'm afraid that me having this conversation is going to be offensive to Christ. I want to make sure that, yes, I do right by that person, but I also am doing right by Christ. We need to be a people who are, have, have greater fear or anxiety about um, a holy, perfect, loving God than we do about man. And I'm not talking about some kind of quaking in our boots, fear, fear he's going to throw us all to hell. Or, I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a that what we've been talking about the last several weeks, a knowledge of who God is and who we are and the reverence that goes with that. The other thing that he lists here is this, is that we begin to, we rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. We begin to rationalize all of our sins. If you find yourself rationalizing your sins, well, it's not, yeah, it's, you know, the Bible says not to do it, but it's not as bad as like murder. Right? It's not as bad as other things, or, or, you know, it's not really hurting anything, or I'm a good person, it's just this one thing, or whatever. I say, I'm not cheating on my wife, it's only porn. Right? And you begin to rationalize and rationalize and rationalize, and that rationalization of, of sin is that wave carrying you further and further from the shore, trust me. It is. We believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. That's another symptom. And some, we tend to write that off, well, that's just not my spiritual gift. Some people have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Mine is the spiritual gift of evidently just shutting up and never saying anything. And so, like, you know, whatever, everybody's got their own gift, right? But here's the thing is that if you, again, flash back to that time in your life when your faith was brand new, and I guarantee you for 95% of you, you could not keep your mouth shut about it. You were telling people, you were telling your family, you were telling people at work, you were going... My life just you, 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 my life just seems to be going great right now. Like I just feel the blessings of God. And you, or you would, you, would, you would find some way to fit it into conversations because it was new and it was exciting and it was, it was all of that, right? And now 
you've got this faith, and you, now you say maybe it's, well, it's, that's personal. That's between me and God, and, and, and you just never share it with anybody. By the way, if you read Scripture, none of us are let off the hook from sharing our faith. It might bring you some anxiety to open up your mouth and be courageous you know, in, in whatever way God's calling you to do that. I get that. I get that. But none of us get a pass from sharing our faith. This is why when we, when, when we talk about our religious freedoms being encroached upon, that, that's, I mean, you can, you can mark it in your books. There will be a day in this nation, like it is in so many other nations, when, they'll, when you will be told, yeah, you have religious freedom. Worship whoever you want. You just can't try to recruit others. You just can't try to get anybody else to believe what you believe. That will become a crime. And you say, well, Jeff, we're a long ways from that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, probably. Maybe we're 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the road. But I'm telling you, that is the direction we are headed. And when you try to separate the uh, uh, taking of the gospel to people who need the gospel from our faith. The, uh, the Bible actually doesn't allow that option. You cannot separate it. This is why Christians in other countries willfully go to prison for breaking this rule. Why? Because you cannot separate that from our faith. We only turn, no, no, the, last, the next one is that we only turn to God when we need him. It's like, I, I don't really have good time with God. I don't really spend a lot of time praying. I don't spend a lot of time in His Word. I may not come to church, but every, you know, once in a great while. Uh, but then when our lives come crashing down, then it's like, oh, I can't get enough Jesus. I'm, 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 all my presets are going to Caleb on my radio, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to start you know, multiple reading plans on version, and I'm going to get into church, and I'm going to join a group for about two weeks, and I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to, you know, whatever. And so we do that. We get into this like panic mode on our faith. It's like, it's like, ah, I have, I've starved myself of God, so now I'm just going to like glut on it. Ah, God, 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 just get me back in faith in this shape. And then once we get there and we feel like, oh, I can finally breathe again, then it's like back to the distractions. Back to the distractions. Why? Because you become spiritually indifferent. When we allow ourselves to get to these points, and this is, this is all I wanted to ask you to do, is like, when you hear some of those points, does any of that, any one of those statements resonate with you at all? Is there any one of those where you go, yeah, if I'm honest with myself, I've, I have become a little bit like that? Because this is what I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much hope for those of us, for, I don't know how much hope for us that there is for those of us who Christ would say, you make me want to vomit. Right, right. I mean, you you can you can try to get Christ, you know, to fit into your spiritual, you know, your theological framework, but if Jesus is looking you in the face and saying, "You make me want to vomit," I you might want to rethink things. Like you might want to rethink your whole plan for life, because that is that's not the words we're longing to hear from Him someday. We're, we we hope to hear, "Well done." Come into the joys of, of my kingdom, right? Not, well, hold on. <laughs> well done, come in. Uh. You, you know, you don't, that's not what we hope to hear from Christ. Don't gag Jesus on the way into heaven. 
don't, don't be doing that. I don't think it's going to work out well for you if that's your, if that's your, your MO, right? So how do we reignite our spiritual faith? Because this is what I know. I, I, you're here today. You love Jesus. None of us want to be that way, although I would, I would guess a good number of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are in that position. So how do we kind of reignite that faith? Well, it's, it's kind of the typical, you know, stereotypical things that you hear a lot about how to reignite your faith. It's get into the Word. Really get it. Develop a hunger for the, like binge on the Word the way you binge on a Netflix show. Like what if you were looking at your wife at 1 a.m. going, one more chapter? <laughs> okay, just one more, you know, whatever. Like what if, what, what if you were doing that? Binge on the Word that way you binge on those distractions, get into the word, spend some good time in prayer. And when I say spend some good time in prayer, I mean spend at least 50% of that time shutting up and saying nothing and just listening to God. Just allow God to download some stuff into your spirit. Spend some time doing that. Spend some time telling people about Christ, telling people about your church or inviting them or whatever. Spend some time in fellowship with others. Get into a group telling you when we promote these groups, this is not just some sort of program that we're hoping succeeds. That's not what our groups are about. Our growth groups are about you drawing closer to Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. I, oh, I got to be careful. Okay, I'll just say it. I'm, I've never been a big fan of groups. Like, like they were tell, talking about in that video, about, you know, there's sometimes you got to talk, talk yourself into going to a group because it's been a long day and we just want to go home. We want to crash or whatever else, you know. I feel that, man. I get home, and I'm just like, I want to kick my feet up and just veg. That's what I want to do. And there are times when it's like, I got group tonight, and I have to manufacture the energy to go, yeah, this is important. I need to do this. This is important. I need to do this. I'm the pastor, and I've been telling people it's important, so I should probably go too. And I'll, like, I'm not, I've not historically been a big fan of groups. But we're not trying to make groups here succeed because churches should do groups. We're trying to do this because groups are now in our church the primary vehicle for discipleship. If you want us to, if you, let me tell you this, if you're not plugged into a group, I'm going to prophesy over you today. If you're not plugged into a group, there will eventually come a time in your relationship with Living Hope Church that you will just... The new, the new car smell will wear off. You'll get a little disillusioned, and you'll, you'll just make a decision. I'm, we just decided to go try another church. We just, we just decided to go do that. We just weren't getting close enough to God here. And my question to you will be, were you in a group? Because if you weren't, you weren't getting to experience the primary vehicle of discipleship in our church. We have a desire to help you grow. Is it another thing that you have to put into your schedule every single week? Yes, it absolutely is. But life is filled with those. Get over yourself. What is important to you, you will make time for. What is important to you, you will make time for. You'll, you'll, you'll schedule three, four, five little league or sports things for your kids a week because what is important to you, you will make time for. You'll, 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 you'll do movie nights or drink nights with your friends. You'll do whatever because what is important to you, you will make time for. If, like, put, put some action in your words. Is your relationship with Christ, is, is you actually growing closer to Christ actually important to you? 
then make time for it. We're talking an hour a week spent with brothers and sisters here in Christ that love you and want to help you and build you up and encourage you and give you the opportunity to do the same to them. Groups are an amazing, beautiful experience. I don't hate groups anymore. I don't. I really don't hate groups anymore because I've found purpose behind them. I'm not just gathering to gather. I'm gathering because I want to grow closer to Jesus, right? So do that. There's all these kind of things, so, you know, making sure you're making worship a priority, turning away from some of your sinful, sinful behaviors and attitudes and things like that. Those kinds of things will reignite your faith, and we need our faith to be reignited. We need that so much. But the problem is, is that we, we, uh, it's so, e- so much easier for us to check out. We want to just be a people who will go, uh, you know, if I get involved... You know, I might get hurt, it might be difficult, or whatever, you know, I'd rather just, I'd rather just skate through life and nobody bother me, right? But this is, this is a big point I want you to get, it's this one. It says, it's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. It's better to hurt in your life with a purpose than just to go through existing without one. Because the people who go through their life existing without any purpose, it's a total crapshoot how their life is going to end up. It's just a total crap, you have no idea. Because you have no plan, you have no direction, you're just floating through the universe just hoping everything works out for you. And I'm telling you, 99 times out of 100, it won't. If you have set yourself, your life up with no purpose, no plan, no direction, generally speaking, you've set yourself up to fail. And so get some purpose, get some direction in your life. So maybe some of you are wondering, like, have I become so spiritually indifferent that I've got myself a little too far from the shore, and I don't know if I can make my way back? Well, John, in this little book of Revelation, Jesus gives us Jesus' words, and he answers that question for you. Verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus' word to you is this. You can't, you can't outswim me. You can't get so far away that you're beyond my reach. I'm sitting here and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. All you have to do is reopen the door. Just reopen that door and let me in, and I will be there with you, and we will feel that closeness again. And now the challenge is for all of us today is this. Do you have the ears to hear? Do you have the ears to hear? Is any of this sinking in today, or is it just going over and over, and you're, you're going to forget it as soon as you walk out the door? Christ has called you into a beautiful, powerful close relationship with him, life-changing relationship with him. Don't settle for meh Christianity. Don't settle for that. Reignite those old flames. Get Get that stuff going again in your relationship with Christ. Draw close to him again. Most of us have just spent so much time kind of wandering throughout through our lives going, you know, it's like we don't even hardly know what we're looking for. We're just grabbing at everything. Just feeling emptiness, and so we're just grabbing it. Maybe I need a new hobby. Maybe I need a new husband. Maybe I need a new whatever. And we're just grabbing at everything. And I'm telling you, the only thing that will satisfy those longings 
is the thing that you have put distance between you. It's, it's, your, it's your relationship with Christ. It will satisfy all of those longings. Is it going to solve every problem that you have? No. You're still going to, it's, life is still going to hit you hard from time to time. But I'd rather life hit me hard with Christ. Like what's that? It's better for me to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. I'd rather that. Because there's joy and there's fulfillment and there's peace and there's comfort and there's, there's, there's all of this purpose in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Pray it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for your word to us today. Forgive us when we become indifferent to the things that you are passionate about. Forgive us when we uh, wander away from you unintentionally. I, I, there's very few people in this room that, that, that I could probably say that they, they have intentionally wandered from you. For all of us, God, it's, it tends to sneak up on us and, and we just find ourselves farther from you than, than what we realize. And so forgive us when we do that. Forgive us when we don't make you the priority, the center of our lives, God. And so uh, put within all of us a desire, a hunger for you. Uh, one that is so strong that we just can't wait to spend time with you. We can't wait to spend time um, um, doing your work. So God, I pray that you would just put that desire and that hunger inside of each and every one of us. Renew our faith. I know, God, I know that there's so many people in this room today that feel distant from you now. They're here. They know they should be here. They they, want to engage with you, but God, they've found themselves distant. So God, I pray that you would just let them hear the sound of you knocking on their heart's door and give them the courage to reopen that door and have you back in and renew that closeness with you. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.